0: Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo. And today I have with me Dave Hess. He is the Vice President of Consultant Development at Financial Planning Ministry. So ministry has been around for 40 years. Many of you know of this ministry and they are fantastic at what they do, which is estate planning. So he'll share more about that. But Dave, why don't you say hello to everybody?
1: Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you may be. It's good to be with you, Leo.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure, Dave. Thanks for... uh, Taking the time to be with us today and really dig into this topic of planned giving and why churches really need to consider planned giving. Let me start with just a quick intro here of why this is such an important topic. Uh, We know that giving continues to go up Uh, in the United States, generosity continues to increase. But what we've seen over probably now a couple of decades is that giving to churches is continuing to go down. It's kind of a troubling trend because we still believe that the church is still God's primary plan for redeeming and empowering people to live godly lives. So the church is very much at the center of our uh, Christian lives. And without funding, without the ministry uh, of the church, then well, uh, I think we're going to be in trouble long term. So we need to figure out how do we fund uh, ministry? How do we fund God's work? And the church is the center of that. So Dave, help us to understand what is plan giving? Uh, what? Why is this such an important topic?
1: Well, planned giving is really, uh, I think, a a process or a program that uh, many leaders in our world today overlook. Uh, It's a proven method for achieving a long-term financial security for an organization or a charitable organization, and really, the church is no exception. This is this is a concept that we should be embracing. Uh, We need to look at the numbers that are involved in this process. We need to review what our options are, understand what planned giving can do for us. But but in simple terms, planned giving is really a person's intent to contribute a gift to an organization, it's created in a plan that they put together now, but it's a gift that's going to happen in the future, typically upon that person's passing or upon their death, and that's really what plan giving is all about. Yeah, yeah. And both of
0: our ministries, Financial Planning Ministry and Christian Stewardship Network are deeply involved in helping people to understand biblical finance, understanding generosity, and although generosity is uh, an important aspect of this, it's really not the reason for it, obviously. It's an outflow of stewardship. It's an outflow of who we are as followers of Christ, right? He's entrusted all these things to us, including wealth, and how we manage it is crucial to whether we are successful at being good stewards, right? I mean, we all want to hear that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. And being a steward means that you have to be faithful. So. Part of our role in the church, especially as leaders, is to equip people to be good stewards. And plan giving is just one component of that. So let's talk about why churches should educate people about estate planning and provide a way to create uh, an estate plan. Why why do you think the churches should be involved
1: in that? Well, first would be the the financial uh, side of things. Uh, There are some great articles that have come out over the last couple of years that tell us uh, over the next Five to 10 years, even up to three decades, that somewhere between $35 trillion to $68 trillion is going to transfer from baby boomers to millennials over those decades. And and so, when we think about that concept of of those dollars and realize that a portion of that is going to be given to charitable organizations and churches, uh, there's an opportunity there for the kingdom to benefit from that because a, a lot of that wealth is being held in the hands of believers. And so we need to think about how can faith-based leaders, you know, really afford to ignore those kinds of numbers. So it's, it's rather significant when we think about the impact that can come for the kingdom there. Also, we want to think about this from a stewardship perspective. There are more than 2,300 verses in scripture that talk about stewardship, money, and finances in some way. Uh, there are more verses on money and finances than there are in heaven and hell. If we read all the parables that Jesus shared with us, about half of them touch on those same topics. And so there are some specific verses that that we could look at uh, that talk about these issues. For example, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, we read that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So, So not simply to their children, but to their children's children, to their grandkids. And so that involves some level of planning that has to be done in order for that to take place. And it's not just the idea of a financial inheritance. You know, we want to think about passing on our values and our valuables. So so that's an important piece to think about from from that context. Uh, Also, if we read from Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 and 24, we're told there to be sure to know the condition of our flocks, to give careful attention to our herds. We're told that riches do not endure forever and that a crown is not secure for all generations. Now, certainly, when that verse was written, everybody lived in an aggregate, you know, an agricultural kind of environment. They understood flocks and herds and crops. But when we show that verse today to folks who live in the suburbs of the cities, uh, that verse doesn't speak to them really. So culturally, it's it's a little disconnected. So, so I would suggest we we look at a few new words there. Instead of flocks, we might think about our bank accounts. I would imagine all of your listeners today could grab their phone, their tablet, their computer. And in just a few minutes, know their condition of their bank accounts. We move money around online. We pay bills online all the time today. Uh, the idea of a herd to that group represented their future livelihood. So at some point in time, when when we all hope to be retired and, and no longer have to go to work every day, there's going to be some group of assets that we have accumulated over our lifetime that will be our herd. We will pull from those resources to carry us through the rest of our days, whether that's things like a pension, Social Security IRAs or 401ks, even life insurance and real estate that we're investing in. So we all want to pay attention to those things, certainly. We, we all know that riches do not endure forever. If you've watched what happens to the stock market recently, we know, you know, fortunes are being won and lost there every day. And this idea that a crown is not secure for all generations, well, that crown represented to them that idea of a legacy or an inheritance, but not just from a financial sense, but also from a spiritual sense. You know, certainly what do I want to do to provide for my family and protect for them uh, but, but how can I do something that has some kind of eternal significance that has an impact for the kingdom of God that leaves a legacy and not, not a legacy of my name, but a legacy of my faith. So I want to think about that context as well. Uh, even in the New Testament, Paul tells us in second Corinthians uh, chapter 2 verse 7 to, you know that that since we've excelled in everything in faith and speech and knowledge, uh, in complete earnestness and in love uh, that they've kindled in us to do, he said to see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So, so, you know, we're, we're given instructions throughout scripture to really think about this concept, uh, even to go back to uh, something that you kind of mentioned earlier. And from Psalm chapter 24, verse one, you know, we're told that the earth is the Lord's everything that's in it belongs to him uh, and all who live in it. So really, you know, we are just managing those, those resources that God has entrusted us with. We become the stewards. That's the concept of stewardship, managing those resources and making sure we take care of them. Uh, and then to go back to the New Testament again, uh, many times people say, well, did Jesus really talk about giving or tithing or those kinds of things? But in Matthew 23, 23, we see another example of the Pharisees kind of trying to test him and, and catch, them, catch them in his words. And they, and he says to them, you know, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He said, you, tenth, uh, you give a tenth of your spices, uh, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, such as justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus is certainly encouraging us there, you know, to, to, uh, you know, assist people and think about them in emotional ways. We give in emotional ways. We, we give in physical ways as volunteers within, uh, you know, our church or our organizations we help out, but also we need to be doing that in fin- financial ways. So Jesus reinforces the idea there that yes, we are to be doing these matters of the law of, of justice and mercy and faithfulness, but don't forget Uh, To the giving piece of those things that help the kingdom. So those are just a few of the many scriptures we could look at, Leo, that that address these kinds of topics to us today.
0: Yeah, it's it's so important for pastors to really understand this. Uh, I know pastors are reluctant to really address this topic, uh, not just they say planning, that's probably a little bit more intimidating for most pastors, but even the topic of money, most pastors don't want to talk about it. And this is one of those things that that if we don't teach anything on finances, it's much harder to talk about estate planning because it's it's not something that's primary. It's important, but it's not the first thing, right? If somebody's in debt, uh, they're not going to worry about their estate plan. They're going to worry about how can I how can I make my bills next month? How can I get True. out of debt? So yes, we should do those things. But at some point, if our churches are going to be healthy and our people are going to be healthy long-term, then by all means, we need to educate them on this. So Dave, Tell us why this is such such an important thing for individuals and churches, not just churches, but individuals, God's people. Why is it so important for them to have an estate plan?
1: Well, as we look at uh, statistics across the country, surveys that are done nationally almost every year, but in particular, a survey that was done by an organization called Caring.com. They did a survey in 2021, looking back over the last several years. And right now in 2021, we would see the stats tell us that that nearly two out of every three people across the country don't have a will or any kind of estate planning documents. they just never uh, taken the time to create documents to protect their family and put their wishes in place. Now, if you go back four years ago, you would find that uh, 42% of people ha- had a will in place, but that number has dropped uh, by nearly 10% over the last four years, mm. which, which I find strange given all the issues of COVID and health concerns that are out there. Uh, you know that that people really haven't been thinking about those kinds of issues, but but again, we see that that's that's an incredible stat to think about, uh, not having those documents in place. To include other documents like having a healthcare directive or guardianship for their children. So there are some really important tools that people need to think about, and, and we find those stats are true within the church and outside of the church. So when you're when you're standing up in the pulpit or on a stage or a platform on Sunday morning and you're looking out imagine that two thirds of your congregation don't have the tools in place to protect them and their family. That's, that's a significant issue uh, for us to think about. Uh, another part of this uh, process and this concept that, that really becomes important to us is, is the reason why people don't do this. Uh, you know, we, we read all kinds of reasons why people haven't put tools in place, you know, such things as, you know, they just haven't gotten around to it yet. They haven't had the time, uh, perhaps they think maybe their estate isn't large enough. You know, when we talk about estate planning, people say that to me. They'll say, well, I don't have an estate. Well, anything that we have in our house, you know, the stuff that's in our garage, the contents of our home, a car that we drive, whatever those assets may be, that that all comprises our estate. And so we certainly want to think about protecting that. Uh, and, and to be quite honest, sometimes people just don't know where to go to get this information. How do I start? It's, it can be overwhelming. If, if you were to use your browser or Google or whatever you use and, and type in what's estate planning, you're going to get literally thousands of pages of information to read through. So what applies to me and what doesn't? So it can be a confusing topic. Uh, you know, another important statistic is to remember that five out of every five people are going to pass away. It's a pretty solid number, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, you know we just don't know when. We, we know that it's going to happen, but we don't know when. And so the Bible tells us tomorrow as a promise to any one of us but we want to think about those concepts certainly. And then the the bigger issue I think that many people don't understand is this concept known as probate. And so maybe maybe people have heard about probate or gone through it personally or just you know never even heard that term before. but probate is the concept by which when someone passes away, uh, the court the local court in their county where the person resided is going to uh, provide some oversight for their estate to make sure that debts out of their estate get paid the proper way charitable giving might be done the way they want it to be done, and then who are the heirs or beneficiaries to receive what's left over from their estate. And so this probate process goes on for for many people, particularly those that don't have any kind of documents. Your your state has a set of laws that govern what that looks like. Uh, But probate happens to a lot of people. And and some things to think about is why we might not want our estate to go through probate is that, that it can be expensive. Uh, we find that probate on average ranges somewhere between 6 to 8% of the value of the assets that are going to go through probate for someone. We also know that probate can take some extended time. On average, again, across the country, that's usually somewhere between nine months to two years, but it could certainly be longer than that. We know that probate also can take some ex- extensive effort on part of the family to maintain the assets while they're going through probate, whether that's a house they have to take care of, Vehicles that have to be maintained, whatever those those issues are, uh, that can create some financial difficulties for the family. And then also remember that there you're going to lose your your expectation of privacy when you go through the probate process. Those documents and all that process will become public record that any individual can go down to the county courthouse and request to look through and find out what happened to your estate. Uh, there was a survey done by an organization called Inheritance Advanced back in 2021 that showed that Americans on average are spending about $2 billion a year on this probate process. Uh, So imagine if as Christians, we could recapture some of those dollars and use them for our family and for kingdom work. Uh, What an impact that would leave if we could avoid that probate process. And so there there are ways to avoid that probate concept uh, through tools that you can use in estate planning. Uh, You can certainly be providing more funds for your family. And for the charitable organizations that you're you're connected to through those processes, so very important things to be thinking about there.
0: Yeah, it's it's been my experience as as I've been involved in some of this w- with Financial Planning Ministry, and when I was serving as a pastor at Gateway, uh, we formalized our partnership with FBM back back in 2012. And just seeing people and their responses after going through the education, right, the, the seminar webinar you guys put on, and just seeing their response, you know, most of them respond with, you know, not just gratitude because of what FPM and what their church is able to provide for them at no cost to them. But more than that, they learned something they didn't know that was going to cost them a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of headaches. And it's overwhelming the the response of how grateful they are that one, they understand now that this is a bigger issue than they ever realized, that without a plan, they didn't know that it was going, to, you know, things were going to go down as, as, as you say, through probate and all of the consequences and the, the hardships that come through that. So it's so important for pastors to understand and churches to understand that that when you're doing this for your people, you really are going to get such a response from them of, Wow, I can't believe my church is is providing this for me. You're going to educate them, and then you're going to provide them a resource. And whether you go and and use you know let's say an attorney in your church or someone else to do it that's really not the point the point is that you open their eyes to the to the fact that they need to have this because it's beneficial for them and their families and then whatever is most convenient and efficient for you of course financial planning ministry has been around for 40 years doing this uh i think you guys have served over 41,000 families so far with estate plans through the partners that you've served Correct. um and that's creating all these documents that are part of estate planning so maybe maybe just briefly, Dave, cover some of those documents that are included in the estate plan. Because I think people think, well, it's just a basic will or it's just one document, but there's more to it than that. And I think people don't really understand that there are multiple documents and all of them have an important uh, aspect to this estate planning as a whole. So briefly cover some of those documents and why they're important.
1: Certainly. Everyone needs to be thinking about having a last will and testament. That's a very basic tool that identifies, you know, what are your assets that you own. Where do you want those assets to go? Who's going to manage that process for you? And so every person who's an adult should have a last will and testament as a basic tool. Uh, A tool that can be combined with that is what's known as a revocable living trust, or sometimes it's called a living trust. And so when you own particular assets, perhaps a home that's in your name, vehicles, bank accounts, uh, those are assets that can particularly be subject to probate issues. You can create a revocable living trust to protect those assets from being involved in that probate process. And so the will and the trust get used together in combination to protect those assets and still direct them where you want them to go. Uh, also, people should be thinking about having a durable power of attorney for finance. Those powers of attorney documents can be used while you're alive by other family members or people that you designate to help manage affairs for you financially. Should you be in the hospital and you couldn't physically get out and go do things, uh, that's a very valuable tool to have in place as well. Having a healthcare directive in today's world, typically known as an advanced healthcare directive. It's a combination of what some people might have as a living will and a medical power of attorney. Those two tools can be combined into this one kind of organized document that allows you to make decisions, what you may or may not want done for you medically in the future and people that could be making medical decisions for you. So you can have a financial power of attorney and a medical power of attorney that are different people, depending upon what your, what your decisions are. Uh, having your documents identify who would be potential guardians for minor children uh, is another important tool to have in place. And sometimes we help families uh, across the country who have special needs members uh, in their families and they're, you know, they're eligible to receive benefits like SSI and Medicaid. And so if you left money to them directly out of your estate, you could make them ineligible for those benefits for a period of time. And so there are some tools known as a special needs trust that we can create uh, many times for families to help them with those tools. So those are all the basic contents of what somebody would have as an estate plan uh, and help them manage these resources moving forward.
0: Yeah, as you can see, folks, I mean, some of these documents are vital to how things are going to unfold if we get to either a place where we're incapacitated, so that medical directive would come in in that situation, or if something happens to us and we have minor children. I mean, you have guardianship in place that you can assign who you want your children to be raised by instead of allowing the court, based on their values and their criteria, to make that decision. So all of these documents together are able to help this transition from you to the next generation uh, so that it's efficient, it's done in a way that protects your family, it protects your assets, uh, and it's just good stewardship. At the end of the day, honestly, to me, that was the biggest part of creating an estate plan is that I didn't want to leave this last gift that I was going to make, which was going to be 100%, right? It's, I've never given everything away at one time, uh, but I will one day, right? Uh, at least I know one day I will do that as you said, five out of five people will pass away. And the the reality is that none of it will go with us. And so if we don't have a plan, uh, what's going to happen? And I think for me, the biggest benefit to this is that I get to decide how I distribute, my wife and I distribute our assets and our estate in a way that is clear. And it doesn't, hopefully, it, it negates any kind of arguments or any kind of family squabble that might happen without a plan, right? Because if you don't put a plan together, you're leaving for your kids or your grandkids to fight over everything, rather than you very clearly saying, this is what I want, this is what I want, I want it done. So it's such an important part of it. Now, uh, Dave, can you share a few relevant statistics that pastors would find helpful in deciding whether this is something that the church should consider doing, uh, offering estate
1: planning ministry? Certainly. Well, you know, when we think about, uh, you know, our the operation of our church week in and week out, month by month, uh, we always think about tithing, you know, members that are going to be tithing to the church and giving. uh, And we realize that that tithing typically comes out of cash flow, out of their income that they're receiving. Uh, They might be tithing off of a tax refund that they get or bonuses they get each year. But really, those gifts that come in, those tithes and offerings that the church typically receives are kind of from a set income that's coming into a family over a period of time. Uh, We might occasionally organize a capital campaign uh, or a building program where we're asking somebody to go above and beyond their tithe for a two or three year period. Something like that might happen occasionally. There might be some end of year special giving programs that we do for Christmas or Thanksgiving where we're trying to help some local missionaries. There could be some short term projects. Again, it could be a missionary trip or whatever is going on. But many of those things are funded typically from that income that people have. But we need to realize that when someone passes away, Uh, they have the opportunity to leave probably the largest gift that they ever could leave because at that point in time, like you just said, everything from my estate is going to go somewhere. I'm I'm not taking any of it with me. You know, as the old joke says, you've never seen a U-Haul pulling, or a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it. Uh, So we need to remember, we don't take those things with us. They're all gonna stay here and go to somebody else. So the first stat I would share is we have 100% of our estate that we can decide where's it going to go upon our passing. You know, could we leave ninety or ninety-five percent to our kids and give five or ten percent to the church or other charities? Would our Would our kids be okay still? I think for the vast majority of us, we'd say, yeah, they would be. They would be fine with that. So we have the chance to leave a very significant gift upon our passing. I always like to share this this story when we talk about tithing. You know, we always go back and say, well, the first tithe we ever saw in Scripture was the example of, of Abram, who then became Abraham later. And so, I don't want, I won't go through and read the entire scripture, but in Genesis chapter 14, you can go back and read this story where Abram has just rescued Lot and his family from captivity. And so now, now they're, they're making their way forward and they come across the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Uh, He, he was known as the the priest of God most high. And so they come upon him and Melchizedek comes out and he blesses Abram and, and uh, you know, says blessings to you, Abram from God most high uh, and and praise be to God most high, you know, that he has delivered you from your enemies. And when that happens, Abram, it says, gave a 10th, but it doesn't say that he gave a 10th of his income that week or a 10th of what he had made that month or his bonus. It says that Abram gave a 10th of everything he had all at that one time. And so not only is that the first example of a tithe that we see, but it's the very first example of an estate gift. He gave, he gave a tenth of everything in his estate. And so, you know, that's certainly something that uh, that we could think about doing. You know, when we pass away, we certainly want to, as I said earlier, provide our, for our family and protect them. But we want to do some things that could have some impact for the kingdom of God. And I think that's a great opportunity for us to consider how we can use what God has blessed us with over our entire lifetime uh, to give back to the kingdom and help impact other lives for Christ. So that's important to think about. Another statistic would be the the idea of what the government tracks through the Internal Revenue Service. So, of course, when taxes are filed every year, and when somebody passes away and their taxes are done, the IRS tracks all charitable giving that's done. And so, the IRS tells us, statistically speaking, if we would consider the average American and all that they give over their lifetime, okay, imagine whatever that might be, at the end of their life, they're going to leave a gift to some charity. It's going to be about 2.74 times what their total lifetime giving would have been. Now, for some of us, that might seem impossible to think about. Well, we need to realize that not a lot of Americans are giving over their lifetime, but they still are leaving a gift at the end of their life, which is nearly three times the total that they gave. So, if we could encourage the members in our congregations to think about doing some kind of a state gift upon their passing, that gift could be much larger than what they've ever even given. Uh, to the to the church over their lifetime, and so we just need to remember that donors, you know, can certainly help ministries in ways that they never thought possible by making these large gifts at the end of their life. So very important to keep keep that in mind. Uh, another stat I would share is that uh, there's an organization that uh, that serves the planned giving community called the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP, as we refer to them. And AFP says that in the world of planned giving, that we would see that typically. The return on investment would be about four to one. So for every dollar that an organization would spend on planned giving, they would expect to see in return about $4 given back to them. Now, many of you listening today, you receive mailings at home. You get postcards, newsletters, articles from places that are soliciting you to give to them. Uh, You know, it could be the gospel mission near you at Thanksgiving to provide food. So all those organizations are advertising, they're promoting, they're doing different kinds of efforts. Uh, and all those things have a cost associated with them but in the world of planned giving they typically say that 4 to 1 is the return you would see uh, what's interesting is the work that we do through financial planning ministry we see many of our partners are seeing returns of 20 to 1 50 to 1 we even have some partners that have as much as 100 to 1 in return so you know i believe that those that are uh, you know that is are, those that are part of the kingdom of god are, are being much more generous than what average americans would be And again, this is a great way for us to to enable them and encourage them to think about those things. Uh, Lastly, 95% of all estate gifts come through very simple wills and trusts. Most family members, most people don't really need some complicated plan that's going to unfold over the next three or four decades. Uh, They just need to have the right tools at the right time to help them accomplish the goals that they have in mind to protect their family and provide for the kingdom. Uh, an old preacher friend of mine used to often say that you should set your given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. And uh, that's what the opportunity is that we have, is to set up an estate plan so that we know where our gifts are going to go, uh, and we know that that's going to happen upon our passing.
0: Well, I do hope that you're enjoying this conversation, and we're going to come right back to it. But I want to take just a minute to introduce you to one of our ministry partners. CSN's ministry would not be possible without the help of our partners, and frankly, we wouldn't want to do it without them. What they offer to churches and church leaders through services, content, and resources that they have is invaluable to building a healthy stewardship ministry and helping their people to become good stewards and generous givers. This episode of the Stewardship Leader Podcast is sponsored by Vision 2 Systems. Vision Two is the comprehensive giving solution that enables a ministry-first approach to stewardship and generosity. We engage givers with tailored giving experience and acknowledgements, elevate ministry with unparalleled efficiency for your support staff, and enable leadership with analytics and reporting tools to support your church and congregation's generosity stewardship. We're more than software though. Vision Two is your partner, an extension of your team throughout our partnership reach out to us at, at vision 2com to discuss ways we can serve your church and givers or visit vision2.com to learn more. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Dave. Those are great things to really consider uh, as a church leader that there's an opportunity there not only to serve your people, but for those people to serve God's kingdom, which is part of all of our responsibility and opportunities. So it's really doing something for your people that... Uh, It's so crucial because it really can provide such great resources and also spiritual maturity. Every time my wife and I have been challenged to give, we've grown spiritually because we've had to depend more on God in order to be generous, right? Because we have to sacrifice what's in our hands. But that's such an important part of of a church leader, a pastor, a senior pastor that's preaching every weekend is to challenge people not to love the world. We are to use the things of the world. Uh, we are to enjoy the things in this world, but we're not to love them, right? So this is an opportunity for church leaders to really help people to become more dependent on God and really have a clear way to separate those things that that are of this world and invest them in places and in ministry and in things that will last forever. And so it is really a ministry, and that's really what I believe so much about planned giving is that it's more than just useful service that a church. Can provide to its members that it's really a ministry. So, Dave, can you share some compelling reasons why a pastor should think of it as a ministry, not just as a service, but as a ministry that the church should provide and engage in uh,
1: as far as their members are concerned? I certainly believe that there are some values that we can communicate to our members uh, when we offer a planned giving program of some kind. Uh, And I think one of the most significant values that we would express is that the church wants to serve people. Um, that's really what it's about. Is we want to serve our members. Now, you know, any church that that we might go and visit, there are going to be various ministries within those churches to serve the needs of people. Uh, whether it's children's ministry, whether it's youth ministry, uh, we have ministries that are targeted toward men and women, senior adults. We have ministries for special needs families. So, you know, why do we have those different ministries? Well, our, our goal should always be to draw them closer to a relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. That's that's the goal of every ministry we have is to enhance those relationships between us and the Father. And so all of those ministry concepts all have, you know, that that goal in mind hopefully. Uh, but but as we look at uh organizations around the country, one might think of that that where people are served, uh two two icons that always come to mind is the golden arches of McDonald's mm-hmm. and Chick-fil-A. You know, Chick-fil-A has really come into prominence in the last probably 20 years or so. Uh, those as you drive by those signs, you know, my now my my kids before and now my grandkids, they know exactly what McDonald's is and they know exactly what Chick-fil-A is. And so, you know, those two brands have been built over the years on serving people. If you go back to the 60s and 70s, every McDonald's you went into, you got the exact same experience. You knew what you were gonna get every time, and that's why people, you know went to those institutions over and over again. The same thing is true of Chick-fil-A. Uh, you, you know, you're going to get exactly the same thing every time you go. But now in today's world, if we went into a McDonald's and we went into a Chick-fil-A, I think our experience would be a little different. Which one of those organizations, which one of those restaurants when you go in, really makes you feel like they're there to serve you? You know, we all know the tagline when you're in Chick-fil-A and they give you your food and you say, thank you. How do they respond? My pleasure. My pleasure. They say that over and over again, and so they really make you feel like they're there to serve you, and so we want to express that opportunity as church leaders that that we have ministries in the church that are designed to serve the needs of people, but the motivation behind that is to draw them into that closer relationship with God. Jesus told us both in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, and in Mark 10, verse 45, that he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came to serve people, not to be served. He is our example. And so we serve because he served. And so I think that's an important value that we can share. Another value that I think we communicate through planned giving is the idea of having long-term stability within our ministry work. There are organizations around the country that we could look at. Uh, Think of institutions like Harvard University, Yale. Those organizations started in the 1600s and 1700s. Well, they have very large endowment funds that they have built up over the years through planned giving. And, and people realize you know, Yale and Harvard aren't going to close their doors next week. They have a vision for the future, what they're going to continue to do. And so people are investing in them. They expect to be around for the long haul. Uh, other organizations we see today, United Way, Salvation Army, St. Jude's, uh, Habitat for Humanity, they're all leveraging planned giving because they have a vision for their work, their organization into the future. So as a church, as a, as, a, as a ministry, we certainly want to be communicating to people that we have a vision for the long term. Why would someone leave a planned gift to come to us in 30 or 40 years if they didn't think that we intend the church to be around in 50 to 100 years? So uh, we want to communicate to them that there's long-term stability in our ministry, and we do that through planned giving. We also want people to understand the value that large gifts are accepted by our ministry. Uh, sometimes I'm surprised when I when I meet with people and they go through their estate planning, they don't realize just how large their estate is. They've never really added up all the numbers and what that looks like. And, and you know, many times they're not able to leave a large gift during their lifetime because they're living you know week to week, month to month, whatever that may be. Some of them are on fixed incomes. But at the end of their life, they're like, wow, I could really do something significant for the kingdom through my estate planning. And so they can, at the end of life, have a huge impact. And and so many people in our congregations dream of doing something big. They just didn't know how to make that happen. And so you express to them that the church is gladly willing to accept large gifts and put those to use for the kingdom. I also think it's important that that people know that we care about all donors. You know, not everyone sitting in your pews are going to be a high net worth kind of family. Uh, The average estate gift that we see is typically about $35,000, which doesn't seem like a a large number to most of us. But imagine if you had 100 people in your church that all left gifts of $35,000, that's three and a half million. Imagine what you could do for the kingdom with three and a half million dollars. And so, whether somebody's leaving $100 to the church or $100,000 to the church, all of those gifts combined together. Uh, can certainly have that impact for, for the kingdom. Another important aspect I think that we communicate is the idea that we can strengthen people's commitments to both annual fund campaigns and capital campaigns that we have. We find over and over again that people who designate an estate gift will often become a more consistent donor or giver throughout the year and throughout the rest of their life. It, it, it connects them to the, to the ministry, connects them to the vision. And so they're, they're able to latch onto that more and, and, and get a better understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. Conversely, we also see the people that are consistent givers and donors are also prime people to consider designating an estate gift. Maybe they haven't created that opportunity yet, or they've never thought about that but now you can afford them that opportunity to, to turn from becoming just an, a regular giver into doing something from an estate perspective as well. So we see that concept works both ways. Uh, we yeah. always need to remember that verse about uh, you know where your treasure is, where your planned gift is. That's where your heart will be also, which is your current giving.
0: Yeah, I think it's such an important part. So I just want to add something here. I think part of what we always try to do as church leaders to help people to trust god more as i said earlier every time we've given we have had to trust god more and really it just it deepened our relationship with god and part of this process that is really helpful for families is that it it helps them understand both the vision of the church more holistically right i mean uh you know a church that has a vision f- to to win their city and and they continue to grow uh many times that vision it's going to take decades to fulfill right It's going to take maybe not not just the founding pastor, but the next generation of leaders to accomplish that mission. So yeah, we want our churches to last not just through the first 30, 40 years while the founding pastor is in, in that chair, but the next and the next and the next. And what we don't recognize is that when we don't communicate that and we don't help people to take part of that, we don't give them an opportunity to sow into that, then yeah, it's easy for them to not really know that they can do that because we've not shared as that degree. So it increases their ability to see the church as more of a generational church, right? It's going to impact generations. So it would be more likely to give to the church if they see their church that way. But like you said, I think it also increases their commitment while they're alive. They're not just going to leave a large gift to their estate and not give on a weekly or monthly basis. It actually can serve both to increase their their regular giving, but also to increase their giving through their state plan. Mm
1: -hmm. And there there are two last values that that I'd like to share. Uh, I think one of them is is important to realize that uh, people understand that their values matter. Mm -hmm. As we stand up and look across our congregation on a Sunday morning or whenever you're having services, uh, there are many different values represented in those seats and those pews. You know, men and women have different values, things that they consider important. Uh, parents versus non-parents have different values. Democrats and Republicans, whatever whatever way you want to slice the pie, there are many different values across the the congregation. And uh, some of the members in your congregation will have shared values, of course. Uh, we but we never really know what those things are. And, and there was a great a great story that I shared a while back. Uh, it's it's out of Nashville, Tennessee. It was in 2021. Uh, an older gentleman, 54 years old, not really quite that old. Uh, he was a single man, never married, never had any kids, no family whatsoever. And uh, when he passed away, he had a $5 million estate. And he left his entire estate to his dog named Lulu. And uh, he had a, a lady friend who had agreed to take care of Lulu. So now he's got $5 million that, that he valued Lulu greatly. So this $5 million going to be u- used to take care of the dog. And so they they asked this lady who was going to be the caretaker. She said, "You know, do you do you think you could spend five million dollars on Lulu the dog?" And she said, "I don't know, but it'll be fun trying." Uh, you know, wouldn't it be fun to try to spend five million dollars for the Kingdom of God? You know, what are the things we could do? The the missionaries we could help. The the projects we could do both here and overseas. How could we enhance the the learning of our children? Uh, many great things can be done. So we we never know what people sitting out there on a Sunday morning value. But, but if we share the vision that we have for the kingdom and what God wants us to do, they will, they will connect to that vision and, uh, and begin to value those things as well. Lastly, I I would share this one that, that uh, I think we demonstrate that we care for people, which is a little different than the first one that I shared of, of wanting to serve people. You know, as you mentioned earlier, planned giving is not really about getting, getting people to give. It's about ministry. It's about helping them uh, we all, you know, as Christian leaders, we all have a duty to teach and to an inspire biblical stewardship. Uh, we're, we're told that we're supposed to do that. Go back to that verse I shared earlier about encouraging people to excel in the grace of giving. Uh, we need to remember that we want to serve people first. We want to care for them first. And when we do that, the funding of our ministries will certainly follow. Uh, but we want to demonstrate that we care for people.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's right there. Jesus said there's two major commandments. One, love God, love people. And I think that's really the the bottom line, so to speak, about why this is such an important topic is that, as you shared, there's so many consequences to not having an estate plan, right? There's so many downsides to it. The whole probate process and what, what it's going to cause your family to go through is very difficult. So yeah. that's the difference. One is, here, I care about my family. I would not want them to go through all of that. the The, the last thing I want them to do is, Worry about the financial side of things. I wanted to be a blessing to them, and I wanted to be done quick so that they can focus on just grieving, and and kind of ministering to one another. Because now they've lost of a loving parent or loving you know uh, person that's been in their lives, and if you have to go through probate, it kind of was set in the background. You've got this mess to handle that shouldn't be your primary focus, right? Your primary focus should be taking care of your family and grieving. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that's what we leave our family with. So it's such an important thing to understand that churches have this great opportunity. It's not a mandate. I mean, I I do believe that pastors have a mandate and a responsibility to preach the word. And this is in the word of God. Stewardship, generosity is in the word of God. So we need to teach people. But this is a very practical way we can love on people, serve people, care for people. Uh, And I love the way you guys do that at Financial Planning Ministry. Uh, What I love most about it is that it's a turnkey process. When a church partners with you guys, all they have to do is make a room available and let their people know that this is available. And the rest of it, you guys do the whole thing from start to finish. Uh, Davis, as we close, why don't you share why FBM does what it does? What's your real mission? And then what does that process look like? If you can just briefly define that so pastors have an idea of what that would look like uh, if they were to do
1: that in their church. Sure. So 40 years ago, when our ministry got started, we were formed by a consortium of about five different organizations out on the West Coast. Uh, Some of them were churches, Bible colleges, some other para ministries. And their goal was to provide tools to families to help educate them on the process of estate planning. They wanted to walk them through those concepts and make sure that they understood them. And then occasionally families would ask FPM to help them create their documents. And we're happy to do that. We're, We're more than able to do that. But really, the goal was to make sure they understood those concepts. So whether they came to FPM or went to a local attorney or wherever they may go, they were able to ask the right questions and put the right tools in place for their family. So FPM is a ministry, as you mentioned earlier, we've, we've assisted more than 41,000 families across the country to do this work. We partner with churches, Bible colleges, paraministries. We come alongside them. We offer a, a, an educational event, a seminar, or a webinar format, depending upon what they need. And uh, we share in about 70 minutes time. We talk through all the tools of estate planning, wills, trust, healthcare, guardianship, all of those issues we've mentioned earlier. We go through that process. And then if somebody wants us to assist them, we schedule an appointment with them. Uh, They can work with us online. They they, can work with us over the phone. Uh, We have digital planning guides that we have them fill out or a hard copy planning guide they can fill out. They get that back to our office. They'll meet with one of our consultant team members. We do an interview with them and, and answer their questions and make sure we understand what they need us to do. And then in about 45 to 60 days time, they'll get their documents from us. We provide them instructions, detailed instructions on how to connect assets to the trust name, referred to as funding their trust to make sure their assets are protected from probate. And then we do any updates, changes that they need for the lifetime of their documents. And we're able to do all that work for them at no cost to them because our ministry is funded by our 145 plus ministry partners that we have all across the country. And so the churches and Bible colleges and so forth that have come alongside of us, They provide funding to us on an ongoing basis so that we can assist their members at no out-of-pocket cost to those members now and into the future.
0: Yeah, I love that because I think one of the biggest barriers for people to actually do this is the financial cost, right? Most of us know, and and it's not that it's so expensive. It's just that it's something that we procrastinate on because I don't want to spend $2,000 to get my estate plan done because I think I have more time. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm going to hold off spending that money until later. Uh, but your model for ministry and how you fund the your own ministry and the work that you guys do through the partnership agreements allows people to come and do this without worry about, I have this cost up front and can I afford it? Uh, you removed a lot of those barriers so that people can do it, which I think is uh, such a such a benefit because most people would, honestly, I think most people would procrastinate and say, yeah, I know I got to do it, but I got more time. As soon as they would see the the cost, if the cost was anything more than a few hundred dollars, and even that for most people it's hard to do, uh, they just wouldn't do it. So I love I love the model you guys have, and most of all the fact that you walk people through from education all the way through to funding their trust. That's such an important part because creating the documents is one thing, but not funding a living trust, um, it's it's not it's no good to you, right? If you don't have any assets in your trust. Well, you're not going to avoid probate on those things. So I just love that you guys don't leave people with just, we're going to do the documents, send them to you, and you're good. No, you start by educating them. Then you walk them through the process. You do the documents, and then you help them to transfer those assets to make sure they know how to do all of that with all the different types of assets they might have. So it's a really, uh, a turnkey operation, which I, I think every church could really benefit from. So thanks, Dave, for taking the time to be with us today to explain estate planning a little bit better to uh, pastors that are listening. And if you have listened to this podcast, we really encourage you to share it with somebody else, maybe another pastor friend that you have. Uh, let them know that this is a ministry. This is not just about helping your church get funding. It's really about helping people first and foremost, Dave said that it's about serving people, caring about people, uh, creating then stability for your church, right? If you have a mission that God's given you, then you should be doing everything possible to fund that mission. And guess what? God can provide it, but most of the time, God wants to provide it through his people. So give your people an opportunity to sow into the work that God's doing uh, in your church. Uh, They're there for a reason, not just to benefit themselves, but also to to give back into the ministry. Uh, They're part of that. They're part of funding your ministry. So make sure that you serve them. And then also uh, you set yourself up to be able to fulfill that mission that God's given you. Well, Dave, any last words as we uh, close this up?
1: You know, I I think as we started off, the the first question that you asked me was, you know, is is planned giving really a ministry? And uh, I think clearly the scripture tells us, yes, it can be a ministry to our members. Uh, And whether or not it's a ministry that your church needs, I I think every church should consider this. Uh, It's certainly another added ministry, just like having children's ministry or youth ministry it's a way to provide those uh those tools to your to your church members and help them do some things that god has asked all of us to do. so i greatly appreciate the uh, the chance to be with you today leo. thanks for the time. and uh if anybody has any questions i'd be happy to to respond to them. they can get in touch with us through your ministry there at csn and uh, and contact us.
0: yeah, you guys can uh i'll add in the show notes of course a link to financial planning ministry. uh their website is fpm.org fpm.org And by all means, go over there and check them out, find out what their ministry is all about. They also have multiple ways to just inform the church. They have an orientation they do a couple of times a year so that you can get a chance to look kind of behind the scenes. What does this process look like? How would I serve my people through this ministry if it was something that we offer through our church? They're going to be excellent at helping you to understand from the beginning to the end, everything that they do, uh, what your role is, what their role is. And I think it's something that's worthwhile taking a look at. Like I said, they have a, a wonderful process. Uh, and for 40 years, they've been doing this. So they're very, very good at what they do. Well, Dave, thanks again for being part of this. I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, Leo. Pleasure to be with you. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Again, if you've uh, benefited from this podcast, if you found it valuable, uh, please first and foremost, share it with someone because we do believe it'll help other uh, church leaders. And then if you want to know more about financial planning ministry, Of course, you can find them at fbm.org, or you can go to our website and you can find a link to their ministry from there. And if you want to know more about us, find out about our membership, some of the resources that we offer, find us at christianstewardshipnetwork.com or email us at info at network.com. We would love to serve you, come alongside you, help you to build a healthy stewardship ministry in your church so that you can help your people to learn how to manage money God's way and how to become joyful and generous givers. Thanks again for spending some time with us today. We look forward to seeing you next time on Stewardship Leader.